just gave John Stewart the AA. He has broken it AJ Styles. Oh my God. And he's setting him up for the Styles Clash. Welcome in to another edition of SmackDown Rebellion presented by the IRW Network. You can follow us at IRW Network on Twitter and WrestleZone.com. You can also go to WrestleZone.com, IRWNetwork.com. And we're going to be back on SoundCloud for the time being as well, which means we're also on iTunes. So check us back out on iTunes again. But you can follow me on Twitter at JJansen34. You can follow my co-host today on Twitter at, and I remember it this time because... Two weeks in a row, he's on with me. At Brad Gilmore. Brad, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? I'm, I'm excited to be back on. Um, dude, uh, the, another interesting episode of SmackDown Live. And I think my question, that will, and I'm sure we'll answer it, is did it live up to the hype of, of Sin City SmackDown? So I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it all here today. Yeah, because I think the hype is is that I, I kept hearing mini pay per view. Is that kind of what you were getting out of this? Like this was yeah, sort of their yeah, kind even, of mini pay per view. Even from last week's show, and um, and then even when you and I spoke on the podcast last week on Rebellion last week, I thought, okay, you know, this seems like it's going to be a big deal. You know, this seems, feels like a really big show. It feels like a mini pay per view. So that that was the sentiment I had going into the show. Um, and I guess we'll just say it off top. Off top, even though there were three championship matches, I don't know. It didn't feel like a super special show to me. To me. Now, obviously, the way it ended was something that we don't see all the time. But um, I, I think the show overall was just okay and didn't really have a uh, – maybe, maybe, like I said, maybe it was just overhyped because it didn't have that miniature pay-per-view feel to me. Yeah, I but, think um, – yeah. I think that's where we're kind of getting it wrong because it was a big show and there are a lot of things that happened. But since it was like a mini pay-per-view and that's how we were looking at it coming into the show, we thought we were going to get a pay-per-view-esque show where we're getting 15-minute matches and instead it was still the same kind of pacing and style that usually a SmackDown Live show is. But just maybe the stakes are higher because there's uh, more title matches and also you're getting Vince McMahon to come out there the first time he's appeared in a while as well. So I think it more comes from us and putting that mini pay-per-view label on it and then thinking, hey, this is going to be exactly like a pay-per-view. And that kind of fell short yeah, of our no, expectations. No, I agree. I agree. Even though, like you said, a lot of big things happen on this show. Like a lot of big things happen, you know, um, <laughs> including title changes and, you know, a, a major main event match set up for the next SmackDown pay-per-view. I mean, a multitude of things happen on the show, but I guess, you know, it's just, you know, like those, those, those pay-per-view B shows where you're yeah. like, okay, I'm going to watch this, but it's probably not going to be that great of a show tonight. But, you know, I pay for the network, so I'm going to watch it. And like, like, um... Like Great Balls of Fire or something like that. One of those just one-off, random one-off shows, and you're like, that's ah, not going to be that good. And then it always knocks it out of the park. Yeah. I think it's because we like lower our expectations for those shows, and and that way they over-deliver. And I think this time we we um, we we ro- yeah we raised our expectations for this show, and then it under-delivered because of the hype. Well, but yeah. um, you know, a lot of still a lot of cool stuff. Still a, a, a solid episode of SmackDown. Just. Not really what I thought we were going to get. Yeah, exactly. It's not what I thought we were going to get. And it because the presentation was more like kind of that mini pay-per-view field, too. Because they had their yeah. own logo. Like Sin City Smackdown yeah, Live. Sin City Smackdown. The- it kind of it like I felt like it was akin to like the Raw roulettes back in the day. 
if you remember those or like, you know, anytime there's like a specialty show, like if it's the draft show or something like that, or the slammies, they always, something always, they always, you know, go the extra mile and make it feel special on those nights. So yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting. Yeah, I was I was about to ask you, and I guess you kind of answered it. Why kind of have those specialty shows? Why have something like a Sin City SmackDown Live? Like, what what is the benefit of that? I guess maybe because there's a longer wait time till their next pay per view. So why not have some yeah. kind of special yeah, attraction? Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. And also, I mean, um, you know, uh, football just started back. We're gonna get the yeah. NBA back soon. Um, you know, this is the this is typically the period where. It's WWE's "quote unquote" dead period, but after SummerSlam, before Royal Rumble, uh, really, really after SummerSlam, before Survivor Series, is kind of their weak period. Um, and so, I think historically, WWE has always tried to do things to pop a rating, um, even though they sometimes claim that the television ratings aren't as important as they used to be. They still want a good rating, I and mean, even yeah. if they're not oh, as yeah. important, they still want it to be good. They don't want a uh, an unimportant bad television rating. You know, if, if you're going right. to say oh, you know, yeah. your television ratings aren't important, they might as well be high and unimportant. You know, so I, I think they did it to pump a rating. Um, but uh, you know, th- I think that's typically the reason. And also, like you said, with no mercy at the end of this month, and we're not getting Hell in a Cell till next month. I think they also wanted there to be like a touchstone. Uh, you know, period. You know, this is like a, a like I said, a touchstone, a milestone in the stories until. Right. Yeah, I think that's it. it's interesting you bring up football because I think that's something they are conscious about. Um, and we know that in the past, the way they've uh, built shows, they're very conscious about what's going on and when. Um, so it's interesting because SmackDown Live is the only show that's not on a day that's has football on it because all pay-per-views are now going to compete with Sunday night football and Monday nights. They're going to be competing with Monday night football. SmackDown live is the one show where you're not really competing with anything. So maybe they're thinking, well, Monday night raw can have the big pay-per-views and we'll have crazy pay-per-views when SmackDown live, they may think, okay, specialty shows like we are making sure because Tuesday night is the only night we have a show that nothing else is going on. So why not make that priority television? vision every week or try and do that every week that's a really good point that's a really good point i didn't think of it like that but i think you're right on the money like hey well let's load up on these nights that there's not going to be any other you know sports competition and you know let's try to deliver a great show so that way they're more inclined to tune in on the mondays or the sunday nights when we have shows then yeah it, it because i think they're smart enough to know that if they're watching SmackDown Live on Tuesday night, most of the time that audience is also watching on Monday night. And more often than not, it's usually a bigger audience watching Monday night. So that yeah, helps. Yeah, but out. I think also, also there, there are the fans. Like, I'm a diehard wrestling fan, obviously. I talk about it on podcast work in the business and all that. But even I on Monday nights, you know, even I will switch between the game. You know, oh, so yeah. I think a lot of times they just, you know, they want to have that hooked so you're like oh man this is this is this is why WWE's so good this is why i'm a fan and you know you just continue watching yeah because i mean to just kind of say my example too i watched football last night i watched all football last night and i basically watched raw through my twitter account like that's how i was able to get everything on monday night raw but that's just my viewing habits and they're trying to make sure like hey tuesday bam here's a big show and here's what you're missing out kind of on monday nights so uh yeah it's it's all interesting how 
because SmackDown Live is now live on Tuesdays, how that dynamic changes and how maybe SmackDown Live, the show might change and Monday Night Raw is going to be more pay-per-view based or I have no idea, but it just... I'm interested to see how that dynamic changes now that football is back. And 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 it, and it also we also might be like completely overanalyzing the oh, entire yeah, thing. Oh yeah, we could be. And they might have yeah. just made made it Sin City SmackDown because they're in Las Vegas. And as we're recording this, the finale for the May Young Classic is on, and they were just going to have extra star <laughs> power there anyway. Like we saw Ronda Rousey was in the audience. Obviously Vince was there. We saw Stephanie McMahon at the, on the show. So it just could have been one of those things. Yeah, I certainly that crossed my mind uh, a lot too. Is well, they're in Sin City, so why not make yeah. a big deal out of it? Uh, that's and like I said, it could it could be the two hour hype show for the May Young Classic too. I mean, yeah. they 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 peppered this thing with a bunch of May Young Classic promos, commercials, references, um, especially when you sh- you know show girls in, who are in the crowd. They show that little package of the red carpet earlier. So we really could have just been missing the obvious, and that been the reason as well. Yeah, we'll get to that video package too because just just the perception of how it looked. I want to get into it. We'll get into that later. So let's start off with the show. Starts off with Kevin Owens because basically the big thing in this show is Kevin Owens and he's suing WWE. So he goes out there and talks about the lawsuit and everything. And we go through this promo and just the little side thing that happened with Dolph Ziggler I thought was hilarious and him coming out in the Shane McMahon uh, music and everything. Good use of Dolph. Yes. I hated him last week for everything that he did. And I'm actually going to hate on him a little bit later on in the show. But this was a good use of Dolph Ziggler. It also makes him, though, even though it popped me and it was funny, it also makes him feel like just now like he's like the shot sideshow Bob character. Like he's just there to, you know, pop a quick laugh for some comic relief and then right. run off. You know, it's kind of how he's being utilized. But I still, I, nevertheless, I did enjoy that moment. Yeah, because could you see that becoming a thing? Like maybe instead of Bobby Roode coming out during his entrance, you get that glorious and then it's Dolph Ziggler coming out. Surprise! It's Oh, Dolph. man, yeah. You want to get some heat. <laughs> you want to get some heat? People people will really crap all over you if you interrupt Bobby Roode's entrance or yeah. you, you fool him on that one. I think before every Dolph Ziggler match, what they should be doing is a different entrance each time. He should, the next time after maybe mimicking Bobby Roode's, go out there and strobe lights next time and do Shinsuke. Like, and just keep changing it every single week before a match. And, oh, yeah, the entrance, you know, it's not a big deal because once that bell rings, but then Dolph is making a big deal about it because every week he's doing something different and making a big deal about it. And it's just, I I think that would be the way to go with this because doing it all at once, like, you you don't seem to be a fan of it. And to a certain point, it bores me a little bit. But it just seems like, okay, you're doing everything at once. Stretch this out. Like, you know, have a match, but have the entrance kind of be before the match and that distract us or make us hate him before it. Get the heat Yeah, on. For sure. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, because uh, just the succession of all of them is, uh, I think, bores people a little bit. But we get that. We get that kind of side Dolph Ziggler thing. And then Daniel Bryan comes out and... I think everybody basically took out of this is Daniel Bryan said a fat joke, and that's basically it. But uh, Daniel Bryan came out there and said, hey, I'm the GM. This is my show. Um, and anytime Daniel Bryan goes out there, that's always a great card to play in the beginning uh, because he goes out there and everybody just goes absolutely nuts. And it, it does. he brings 
And he, it's exactly what he should be doing as a GM and why they brought him on. He brings a good spark to the beginning of the show, it seems like, every time when he comes out. Um, so I always think when they do use Daniel Bryan in the beginning, it's always great use because he brings that spark and everybody gets that quick pop, quick nostalgia, and then it seems like the crowd is usually into it um, for a longer period of time in the beginning of the show. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that was one of the things that I um, kind of noticed at the beginning of the show when Daniel Bryan came out and, you know, he does his little yes thing down the, um, you know, down the aisle way of like how many people still love doing that. Yeah. And it's like, even though he, his in-ring career isn't where it was, you know, he's still, you know, he can still pop the crowd, man. People still love Daniel Bryan. They still want to see him. Well, I think it's one, of the, crazy. one of the concerns I think with Daniel Bryan going into the GM role that everybody had was, well, everybody's not really going to love him as much because he's not Stone Cold. He can't entertain us the way Stone Cold did. And for some reason, like the character of Daniel Bryan, the GM, is still a likable character. So we still do have this, like, we like Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan, the GM, is awesome. And it's more of we're loving the GM side of Daniel Bryan and the wrestler thing. Yeah, the nostalgia is great, but the wrestler thing we kind of thrown aside a bit, and we love just Daniel Bryan, the GM, the same way we love Stone Cold, the GM. And uh, I didn't think people were really expecting that, and it's kind of turned that way, and I love it because now every time he goes out there, it's just an easy way to get the crowd involved. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. Daniel Bryan, the way they're using him, I mean, as long as he's under contract, this is his role. Yeah, it is. And uh, the thing is, he's he's doing great at it when there were uh, uh, some concerns about it. But we go through that segment, Daniel Bryan saying that Vince McMahon has something to say to Kevin Owens, and it's not going to be nice. But we'll get to that later. Then we get uh, AJ Styles and Ty Dillinger. AJ Styles winning that match. Um, what did you think about all this? I mean, again, Ty Dillinger uh, taps out to AJ Styles. Um, is this, the, this is the second week in a row. Yeah, because this was they, yep. they did this last week. And then Baron Corbin came out. So um, the, the calf crusher that beats nobody has beat Ty Dillinger now uh, <laughs> twice in a row on TV. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I honestly think that this is um, Ty Dillinger. This isn't good for him. Like, he's literally just a pawn, like an actual pawn in the story of Baron Corbin, AJ Styles. You know, he's not being used in any, like, important way. Yeah, he gets, like, a shot on television, but really, like, was it... It wasn't even... Even with AJ... Even having AJ Styles in the match, it wasn't even, like, the most entertaining match. Like, I found myself checking my phone and trying to get updates on the iPhone X more than I was watching the U.S. championship match. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that just kind of shows, at least to me, how subconsciously or consciously I feel about Ty Dillinger. And, you know, I mean, it was just so transparent. We knew he wasn't going to win. When John Cena did the U.S. Open Challenge, like, we, we had a feeling, you know, that, that he would always win, but you still didn't know. Like, when he would have guys like Kevin Owens come out or, or Sami Zayn or whomever, like, it was always there's always an element of, you know what, the title could change hands here. Like, that, that'd be a big thing. And with AJ, it just hasn't had the same magic. You know, I'd, I would have loved to see, like, AJ Styles in a competitive match with Bobby Roode on his debut or when they brought back Shelton Benjamin. Like, that's how you bring back Shelton in the U.S. Open uh, Challenge or, you know, or, or bring up somebody from NXT uh, in the U.S. Open Challenge. But, I don't know, with Ty Dillinger, 
it's just he's he's being treated like like I said like a chess piece in the story that is Baron Corbin AJ Styles which to be quite frank I don't know how many people are really into yeah are you into Baron and AJ um I like Baron Corbin more than most um but I don't not too much like I because it's it's been such a kind of a side story to this like there is a lot going on with Ty Dillinger, AJ Styles and then Baron Corbin. Like they they could have just done, done something straightforward. Um but I get I get why everything was going on though. Like I get why because Ty Dillinger gets that rub, he gets a title match, but I I think the part was missing was exactly what you brought up there was that they never made you feel like AJ Styles was going to win or Ty Dillinger was going to win that open challenge. Because, one, they foreshadowed this Baron Corbin story. So that's why I'm kind of not into it uh, right now, because they foreshadowed that too much to where part of that storyline that was supposed to help it was instead just hindering and making us feel like it was just, okay, just get on with it kind of thing. And also a reason why is they never made that open challenge. I feel like John Cena, I don't know if he lost the open challenge, but he lost to Kevin Owens, um, I think pretty early on. And then he got the U.S. Yeah. title on Kevin Owens' chat. Like they made it, for some reason, I remember John Cena losing and they made it seem like, oh, well, he could lose his title then. Like John Cena actually is getting pinned. Maybe it could happen. Like we knew like, okay, most likely it's not, but there was always that that little voice in the back of our heads like, Sami Zayn might actually do this. Like Sami Zayn, they actually Sami Zayn might win. But with this, yeah. they foreshadowed it and they never established that AJ Styles like was even close to losing it before and that it could happen. So really it fell flat because we never kind of we never had that other element of well Ty Dillinger could win. It was always just foreshadowing the Baron Corbin story and kind of forcing that on us I think a bit too much for us to really enjoy this. Yeah, no, I agree. And like you said, uh, I just don't get Baron Corbin, man. Like, he doesn't do anything <laughs> for me. He just doesn't. And, you know, I mean, I gave him a chance. I really did. And, and you know, I thought, you know, maybe Baron Corbin's actually going to be something. And, you know, they started kind of giving him that little push there for a minute. But it's just, he's just, he's not, he didn't feel him. He didn't feel special. He doesn't really feel important. You know, I mean... I hate to like come down on the guy, but it's just like right. he's just there. Sometimes they push these guys and they end up just being there, you know, and, and, and we have to kind of stomach them because they're being put in the spot. But this isn't even like a like a Roman Reigns thing where like we're, we're being force fed this guy. It's but even though we're being forced like with Roman Reigns, like we're being force fed Roman Reigns to a certain extent. At least that's how some people see it. But at least he still lives up to the hype and he can perform you know, at a very high level consistently. Right. And he has great matches, like, all the time. Uh, with Baron, he doesn't. He doesn't have really necessarily good matches. I mean, I can't... Well, if someone would be like, hey, man, I want to watch the best Baron Corbin match ever, what what would, what should I watch? I say, I have no effing idea. Baron, Cor- because, <laughs> Baron Corbin, yeah. Bull Dempsey in NXT. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I think I think you know. I mean, it's a testament to you know his in wing in ring work, brother. And I know that's what a lot of times we put focus on and importance in is the in ring work. And to be honest with you, Baron Corbin doesn't really have much in the work department. He really doesn't have much in the promo department. Lord knows he have a lot in the hair department. So I mean, the, the guy is just kind of there. He's there, and we're and he's special because we're being told he's special. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I, I think what was what really hurt him, I think, were two things were Sami Zayn because Sami Zayn kept beating him. And before that, he was kind of this like bigger uh, kind of imposing his will on people kind of thing. Like the best the best thing they ever did with Baron Corbin was kind of that really creepy backstage thing with Kalisto where he kind of pinned him up against like a garage or something. And it looked like he was going to kill him or, you know, of course, there were dirty minds of people on Twitter that had other ideas of what was going to happen. <laughs> But uh, but like that was what Baron Corbin was. He was very dark, very creepy. Like he's a guy that would be in the back of the alley about to beat you up or something. Like that was Baron Corbin, and that's what he was kind of that monster like dark figure. And that changed when Sami Zayn beat him, and then you kind of lose that because the underdog beating Baron Corbin. Well, what the hell are you then? And then it kind of happens that he wins the Money in the Bank. And then loses it the way he did, and then he just looks like a fool now. Like he just looks dumb. So yeah, everything. I, I liked Baron Corbin when he first came to SmackDown Live. I liked him towards the end of his NXT uh, run, but they really have made him look stupid, and that's why I think people have the question of, well, what are you gonna do with Baron Corbin? I just it may have been that they don't think he was ready for a money in the bank win. Maybe they thought the money in the bank loss would make him angry and then that would make him be the monster he's supposed to be. But I think if that was the case it backfired because it just made him look stupid and then he loses to Cena and it's just like we get no payback. We don't get the angry Baron Corbin. So now we just get stupid silly Baron Corbin that lost his money in the bank and now going for a US championship. So yeah, I think Baron Corbin to me had he had kind of something to go with, but they went in kind of a weird direction with him and any slight direction change and it could really ruin a character. And I think it Baron Corbin's character to me is a little tainted at this point. And I think that's why oh, people yeah. got into it. I think they tried to make him you know, when the brand split happened, I think there was ob- there are two obvious projects on both brands, right? One was SmackDown. Baron Corbin was a project they were working on, you know. It's like uh, in Houston, you know, we have the Houston Texans, our football team. And right now we have a project quarterback in, in Deshaun Watson. <laughs> we need him to make yeah, my, some magic. My boy Tom and Savage, man. No, and nobody has any love for my man Tom Savage. Two men, Tom Savage. From Cardinal, yeah, from he, Cardinal O'Hara in Springfield, Pennsylvania, man. Represent, represent. He's from, you're from Pennsylvania? I am. And he went to the same high school my dad. We're off subject a bit, but he went to the same high school my dad went to. So I'm like. What I'm area big, of Pennsylvania? Uh, Springfield, Delaware. County and Tom oh, okay, Savage. Okay. I watched him in high so school, I, so it was like cool to, to see him in the NFL. The co-host, the co-host of Reality of Wrestling is named Matt Depolsky. He has a great, great podcast with Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat. Y'all mm-hmm. should check it out on TitleMatchWrestling.com. But um, I always want to ask everyone I meet from Pennsylvania <laughs> because he's he's from Pennsylvania and he's from a town. And I just want you to tell me, do you know the town? He is from. Shemokin, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I don't know Shemokin. <laughs> you don't know Shemokin. <laughs> no. You know, Daniel Tosh, comedian Daniel Tosh, called Shemokin the shithole of the week, <laughs> just to let you know. But uh, I've always wanted to. I ask love how we got. This nights. is the best sidetrack I've ever done. Like, there okay. are many times I'm I think. Off, I'm I, off. There are many times, like, this show <laughs> goes off the rails, and I, I just wonder people, like, what the hell are they talking about? And to me, it's just utter, like, great chaos. Like, I, I revel in it. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. But, uh, well, anyway, okay, back on. But there are obviously <laughs> two projects, right? Baron Corbin was one of the projects. They wanted to make this guy into a, into a main event level superstar. And then on Raw, it was Braun Strowman. 
Well, right now, Braun Strowman's like maybe one of the most important guys in the company, and Baron Corbin is like very, very, very down the totem pole, if you ask me. So um, it's just an interesting, just interesting to see what's all going on right now with Baron Corbin, and, and they, they keep giving this guy chances, but I don't feel like he's uh, you know rising to the opportunity. Well, it, Baron uh, Braun Strowman is a great parallel because there are many parallels. I think we've kind of pointed this out on SmackDown Rebellion. I know me and you did last week, and Ben does that as well when he's on. There are a lot of parallels to some of the characters on SmackDown Live and Raw, and one of them was Baron Corbin and Braun Strowman. They were the two beasts, the two monsters, the two heavyweights of the shows and they would do kind of the same things. They would do these kind of crazy backstage segments where Braun is throwing, uh, is throwing Roman reigns off a stretcher off a, off a edge or whatever. And Baron Corbin was using that forklift to pin down Dean Ambrose and to crush him basically. Like they were doing the same kind of things, uh, to where they were having these over the top beat downs backstage and Braun Strowman's, I think they enjoyed and they wanted to go forward with it. And it clicked. And really, I think it's the most organic thing that's happened in WWE since maybe Daniel Bryan, this Braun Strowman legend. But Baron Corbin, it didn't quite do the same thing. And I think WWE is like, well, we're scrapping that. And then they it opened him to lose to Sami Zayn and opened him up to lose and, maybe, and look dumb almost to when he uh, failed that cash-in and the Money in the Bank uh, cash-in. So, yeah, it's it's odd because they were two very, uh, I think, similar characters in two very similar paths, and one clicked and they went with it, and the other one, I guess they weren't as excited about it and moved on very quickly from it. Yep. No, I mean, you said it, you said it exactly, uh, exactly what I was trying to articulate there. Um, I think just right now out there in the, in the WWE universe, it looks very barren. For Baron. <laughs> well that was done. my cheesy uh, pun there. <laughs> that, that is just a great exclamation point over and ever that segment we just did about Braun Strowman. <laughs> um, Dasha interviews Rusev. I see a lot of people talking about Dasha Fuentes, and you're, you're a broadcaster. Uh, and yeah. Like, this is, I think, is, I say broadcaster, but I mean, I have never been in WWE or ever done those kind of interviews. I don't know what it's like to be an interviewer for a show that's scripted and you're basically pretending to be a broadcaster. Like, I don't know how that is supposed to look because people make fun of it all the time. And I think Dasha Fuentes gets most of that kind of um, kind of heat, not heat, just kind of that criticism thrown on her because she's the most robotic. But how do you kind of go through that being a scripted interviewer? Like, I, I just don't know really how that would work I mean, and make people you, believe you got to have a feel for things man i mean if you're going to work in the entertainment even even broadcasting sometimes you know you're going to have especially in television broadcasting you're going to have a script written out for you you know um and and yeah. you're going to have to read off a teleprompter sometimes and and it's it's putting emotion into your putting emotion into your um your your verbiage there putting emotion into the words that you've been given or at least you know formulating them to be in your own and and you know i don't want to cr- overly criticize anybody because you know Broadcasting is much harder than most people think. Even you know, as you call it, scripted broadcasting, uh, you know, or playing a part. It's still a hard job. It's not easy oh, yeah. uh, to come off natural on camera, especially in a setting like you know professional wrestling, which is like the most unnatural. The way they do interviews is like the most unnatural way to do an interview. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, but I did notice Dasha, and she's never bothered me before. But I did notice her on this show, and it was very strange. 
I thought it was very weird. Yeah, the way people she kept saying it was that. uncomfortable. Um, did you get that? I, kind I don't of know. Sense? I don't know if I'd say uncomfortable. It was just kind of like, wait, what, is she all right? <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, did she forget her line? Does she not know who she's introducing? And I haven't really seen too many, you know, um, faux pas or, or mess ups on her end. So um, seeing that, I mean, it did stick out to me. I had the conscious thought. I'm I don't harp on it like I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans like to do. But um, it, I, it stuck out to me. Yeah, I'm just hoping because usually this happens a lot where they try and connect what kind of big event happened before, like the day before or something. And of course, what happens during the Monday Night Football broadcast and we get that really uncomfortable kind of sideline report from Sergio. I think Dip was his last name. Um, yeah. And everybody that became kind of an internet viral thing. And some of it got really cruel and nasty. And I think that's a subject for another podcast for another time. But uh, that was that became an internet meme, an internet, like a viral moment. Like maybe they were like, hey, Dasha, do the same thing. Just seem uncomfortable out there and see what happens. And well, like, you know, I, know. I mean, could, like, I'm not saying it is, but like. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe something like that happened. Like, I can't explain. But the thing is, I, I guess the point I'm making is that's the only thing that makes sense. I can't really explain anything else on why it was kind of uh, a little uncomfortable, why she seemed kind of odd or weird. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, they, they've done it many a times before. I remember they played with our truth forgetting someone's name, I think, after the Steve Harvey thing. Yeah. Um, I remember even after CM Punk's uh, debacle, of a MMA fight that was over a year ago. I remember Dolph Ziggler and The Miz, you know, you know, parodied it in the beginning of their match on SmackDown that week. So um, they, they definitely called, they like to do callbacks to things. And I don't know because it wasn't super obvious. It could have been a little small rib that they liked to, that they, you know, did, but right. I, I don't know. It was just, it was weird. Yeah, then that's kind of why I brought it up because that's the only thing I can explain and that seems so far-fetched. Like, this is just, I don't know why it was so weird. Um, But Rusev talking about that he's very sad um, and that he's going to break a legend that beat him in 10 seconds. Uh, Did you get enough here, I guess, from Rusev after being beat in 10 seconds? Is this kind of a reaction you wanted to see from Rusev? I mean, it's okay. I mean, it didn't didn't (laughs) knock my socks off or anything like that, you know? But I think that... um, I like Rusev. I think Rusev could be champion, you know, any champion. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and I thought the thing, you know, you know, so a lot of people complained about the match with Randy Orton. But if this means it's going to lead into a program with Randy um, and him like destroying Randy Orton and essentially killing the legend killer, killing the legend of the legend killer. I'm all for that. Um, I think I think it's good. And if this is the beginning of it, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an open mind. Like I said, I'll, I'll give Rusev a shot. I don't know if it's if it's gonna be great. I don't know if it's gonna suck. I don't know if it's gonna fall flat on its face. But I'll give it a shot because I like Rusev. I think he's good in the ring. I I really don't think they ever should have split him and Lana. Because I, I mean, I, Lana had even was she even on the show tonight? No, she wasn't. Was she? No, no. And there no, weren't there the weren't show. actually many women featured on the show. It was no. just um, Naomi, and I guess maybe because they're all gonna be at the May Young Classic or like just maybe getting ready for the may young classic but all they have was that title match and then carmella um yeah. ringside for it but other than that your girl my girl carmella yeah yeah, yeah. my girl and putting james <laughs> ellsworth on a leash with which was freaky <laughs> which, yeah that was weird we'll get, i mean was it, that was the next no, no no we had the tag match first right no yeah what we get next is uh something that was 
I guess kind of controversial. I saw people get really upset about this, but it was it was kind of ironic. Uh, we get the Singh brothers that come out there do the formal introductions, and then we get Jinder Mahal coming out there and saying things that are very like stereotype Asian things, like saying Godzilla, Pikachu, slanted eyes, like all of that stuff. And it's funny because we we get the reaction of people that are like. Oh well, that's racist. That's bad, and that's like what—that's exactly what Jinder Mahal was calling out. Like, oh, now you're gonna say it's racist, but boo me. Like, I think that's what that what—that's what the whole point of it was. And I didn't think people caught on to that. And that's maybe kind of what WWE was looking for too. Like, hey, they're not gonna catch on. They're just gonna think he's racist, and they could put heat on him when people in India or other people are going to look at it and be like, Hey, he kind of has a point. Like why, why are they saying it's racist now when they were booing him and his culture, like just a week ago? Yeah, no, I'm here's the thing. I mean, first off, I, I think a lot of people forget that like India is Asia, right? Yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how, why people would say that it's racist against, you know, Asia. Or right. No, Asians it is. When, it is Asia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it's technically Asia, I had this debate with my girlfriend all the time. She's from the mid East. Uh, our family's from the Mideast. And I say, well, that's technically Asia, so you're Asian. And, you know, but so it's a, it's a long story. But anyway, my point is – Yeah, no, I've um, been through that same kind of conversation with the next. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah, the- yeah, you have to you – know, <laughs> you've got to make, you make your point. But um, the thing with it is – here's the thing. I don't think that Jinder Mahal's necessarily a great promo um, at all, really. But I, I actually saw him tonight and was like, wow, you know, Jinder's actually – right when I'm ready to give up and say get the title off of Jinder Mahal. He starts showing me something to where I'm like, wait a minute. Now he's got the championship. He's been champion for now over 100 days or whatever. Jinder Mahal is starting to get what Booker T calls that cloak of invincibility. Sometimes when you are the champion, you feel like the champion, not just from you know, in-ring you know, aspect and getting the adulation of the crowd. You carry the ego that is the WWE champion, right? And when you have that ego, you can go out there and you, you can actually tap into another part of yourself that you didn't have previously because you've got this now, this sense of confidence about yourself and your abilities and your skills. And I thought that when Jinder Mahal went out there tonight, he actually, I was like, I was actually entertained by his promo and his little segment. I liked it. You know, I liked it. He looks like, what do you call him? A, a Pikachu that's doing what? Yeah, I have no idea. There were, yeah, it was something it was with funny, a Pikachu though. and something about Godzilla and stuff. Yeah. I uh, enjoyed was... the Pikachu comment, whether it be, <laughs> you know, racially insensitive or stereotypical or not. Um, I enjoyed the Pikachu comment. Yeah, he said, and let's, let's, and let's off, look, 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 come on now. We're going to criticize Jinder Mahal for being stereotypical when this man comes out with two little Indian guys on, on red carpets or Indian carpets with a, with a, you know, traditional Indian head garb on when this guy's from Canada, yeah. you know, this, he's a Canadian. <laughs> all right. And we're putting this Indian gimmick on him and calling him, you know, even though he is Indian, obviously, but you know, you're, you're, you're playing to the stereotype and oh, the foreigner who hates America. Like, so if we're going to get mad about stereotypes in wrestling, let's get mad about all stereotypes. But let's also remember this is a television show. Sometimes when you have things that are stereotypical is to appeal to the broadest audience possible. So yes. everybody watching, if you're even if you're eight or 80, you understand what's going on. Um, that's kind of the purpose for it, even though some people, you know, they want to have their fake outrage or whatever. Um, that's kind of the point of wrestling is for you to get outrage and to want to see this guy get beat up. So when you like complain about that, like you play into their hand. Right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, I thought this segment worked. This segment worked for Jinder Mahal. And now I don't want to see Shinsuke win the title. Yet. <laughs> I want to push it, push it back. 
Yeah. Push it back another month. Push it back to the Rumble. Yeah. Push and, it back to the Rumble. And the interesting uh, thing you said was uh, kind of that cloak of invincibility where you kind of get the ego of being a champion. I've never looked at anything like that before or thought of it like that. But that's an interesting theory of you do have that title around and you got to think it's got to be in your head. Man, I am just, I'm on top of the damn world right now. Nobody can touch me. Like, even though Jinder Mahal's, like, I hear he's the nicest dude ever. Like, he's very humble. Like, there's still a point. It's a human thing to look at this big-ass belt that everybody looks at so highly. And you got to think to yourself at some point, man, I am the ish. Like, I am all of it. I'm on the top of the world right now. Like, that's an interesting, that's a very interesting point. And I guess Booker T, you you. Um, said, said yes. this before that's interesting I, I i've never book, yeah. i've never thought of uh, anything like that before so that is a very interesting point um but also yes we get the he he does kind of appeal to a mass audience because just who gender is he appeals to canadians he appeals to the mass audience of india but also he has a like middle eastern vibe to him too like he appeals to such a large audience and then when he says stuff about this racism thing or be, like things that are stereotypical and people think are racist, like WWE very well, like you know they are conscious about what they say. They are a publicly traded company and they are a billion dollar company that Vince McMahon wants to be this like the Walt Disney world of wrestling. Like they are very aware of this stuff. He says it for a reason. And I think they got the exact reaction they wanted from people to get kind of this fake outrage so Jinder Mahal can get a point with maybe his audience and the people that like him, but going to get a lot of heat from everyone else because they think, oh, you're being a racist, when really the people that are on Jinder Mahal's side can point it the same way. Well, you don't call it the same things like Jinder does. They are playing this so damn well, and the the way they presented it and the content because I think that's what helped out. He had a point here. He had a very defined point. And it was just fantastic, this whole segment. Like, I loved it. I loved how people got upset. And it, it seemed like I was just kind of watching this evolve. Like, WWE just, like, gotcha. <laughs> like, as soon as I'm seeing this, I could just, like, see Road Dog like, kicking back. Like, all right, we got him. <laughs> like, this is it. Yep. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted you to do. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like, it's so intense. And then finally, like, see the Twitter reaction kick back. Yep, that's it. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> like, I, I just, that's what was running through my mind through this. Um, But, yeah, very good segment. So, you want, if I'm hearing this right, you want Junior Mahal to kind of hold the belt a little longer now. Let him hold it, man. Let him hold it. I, I, I think that if, if, you, if you, you can draw this out to the Royal Rumble because he got, Shinsuke got screwed at SummerSlam, something's going to happen at Hell in a Cell because there's no way they're just going to let him get in the second match. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, not, there's no drama in even numbers, right? That's why they always make trilogies and fights yeah. because there's no drama when, when there's one in one, right? There's drama in the, in the trilogy, in the third act. That's why everything's a three-act play, right? So I, I think that if you if you make it into um, make it to Hell in a Cell, whatever happens happens, right? There's some kind of controversy, and then you know Daniel Bryan says, you know what? We're going to settle this either at TLC, which I think might be a SmackDown show. I'm not sure. Um, I think if it was it last year. I think it was last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's either TLC or you know I, I don't know. Uh, not No Mercy, uh, Survivor Series is going to be in Houston, and it's going to be one of those big events they're going to do yeah. where it's four you know, nights in a row. So there might be something to where they 
They do some at Survivor Series. I, I just think that you can you can draw it out a little bit more because honestly, if Shinsuke wins it at Hell in a Cell or whenever their next match is, which I think is Hell in a Cell, um, it's like it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you only had to go through two matches to get the championship. Yeah, congratulations, you really earned it. You know, I mean, it kind of just is like. That mean to me that they'd just be putting the championship on him to put the championship on. We well, yeah, it like, seems like you, ma- make him earn it. You, you put in a lot of work too to kind of get Jinder Mahal to where he's at, and a lot of work from him, the Singh brothers, like everybody kind of involved in that. That's a lot of work and a lot of time they used, spent to make sure Jinder Mahal gets this kind of presentation and gets to be champion for so long. Make sure there's a very good payoff at the end of it because they did a damn good job of building whatever this is that they did with Jinder Mahal. So make sure you get that correct payoff for this buildup of gender and then it's all worth yeah. it then no, it is agreed. all worth it mm-hmm. um so yeah i think that's a good point to keep it on him longer um but then we get a backstage segment kevin owens talking to some dude with a clipboard this is quoting from mike killam on our wrestle zone um page he does a great job transcribing the uh, wrestle zone and smackdown live shows so go check that out but uh, he talks with Sami Zayn, chatting it up about reminiscing about the old times, traveling the world, and said, hey, Sammy, yeah, remember that time he went in a snowstorm and wrestled for 42 people? Basically, have fun doing that again. Um, and sure. <laughs> so we get the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, um, and the bingo hall comment from Kevin Owens. Then also I'll get into the edit one because I don't feel like pointing it out again, this little small segment, but he talks with Sami Zayn. He talks with Aiden English, kind of like this is what I'm going to do when I'm ruling the company. And, uh, I, I like it one because it shows continuity. It shows that this is the most important part of SmackDown live tonight. Like continue to show Kevin Owens because you're waiting. Basically you're, you're building up the anticipation for Vince McMahon. So keep that part of the storyline alive throughout the show. So then when you get to that end part, you kind of still, it's fresh and then you get Vince McMahon and it's fresh. The anticipation's there. So uh, I, I like what they do with this. And I like the two character interactions between Aiden English and Sami Zayn. Yeah. You know, and, and to do a real quick callback, I also liked when, you know, Kevin Owens said at the beginning of the show, first thing I'm going to do is fire Sami Zayn. <laughs> like that's always going to be the rivalry. You know, he's always going to be it. And the crowd always will be into it. And, uh, and, and tonight really was the Kevin Owens show. You know, it really was. This was the Kevin Owens show. And um, I, I like the segments too. I, I completely forgot about that Sami Zayn comment. I started dying because, of course, I think what we're all kind of waiting to hear is, I'm going to fire Shane McMahon. And he says, I'm going to fire Sami Zayn. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you guys hate each other. And you know you what it reminded are- me of, in all honesty? <laughs> it reminded me of, uh, of you know, our, our, our president of the United States during the Republican debates. You know, last year, whenever, like, you know, there'd be something, he'd be asked a question, and then all of a sudden he'd just be like, what is Jeb Bush doing here? And he'd just attack (laughs) Jeb Bush for no reason. And that's what it reminded me of. It's just, no matter what's going on in Kevin Owens' life, he's going to attack Sami Zayn. (laughs) Did you just compare Sami Zayn to Jeb Bush? Is that what we're calling? (laughs) And you know what? Honestly, that's a pretty good comparison right now. <laughs> oh, man. That's the biggest insult all night. Yeah, Sammy Zane, Sammy Zane is very comparable to Jeb Bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is where the show's going. I absolutely love this SmackDown Rebellion, fellas, and we're only about 45 minutes in. Strap in. We got a long way to go. Uh, we, that's fantastic. We got a Sin City street fight. Uh, the New Day and the Usos. 
And uh, I got to admit, my computer's fan broke, so it did a little thing called overheating, so I didn't uh, catch uh, about half of this match. So I'm going to maybe go to you to steer us in the right direction here. So what did you think about this street fight? Um, you know, uh, you know what's weird is like the hardcore matches and the, the street fights when I was a kid were like my favorite thing ever. I was always a sucker for gimmick matches. I always did. Like I, I thought the Elimination Chamber was the coolest thing in the yep. world. And ladder like matches, the TLC matches. Oh, the TLC oh, yeah. ladder match, whatever, the dog kennel from hell match, whatever <laughs> it was called. I liked it all. I do. I was a sucker for it. Um, and now, for some reason, I guess because everything looks so clean and crisp and they've taken precautions to protect the performers more, these matches don't have the, the – uh, and we've seen it so much. you know, and They don't have the umph they used to for me. For me. Now, there's nothing like a hardcore match when you're in the crowd and you're there live. There's nothing better than it because you hear the sounds and you can really react to them. On TV, I think we become numb to them. So, like, the stipulation was what it was. But, look, you're in there with two of the best tag teams in the past five, ten years in that company. The Usos, who actually trained at Reality Wrestling under Booker T, um, were I – rem- I remember Booker telling me they came through the door – and he was like, wow, I don't have to do a lot with y'all. Y'all are already there before they even had any matches. <laughs> you know, he knew how special these guys were. It's in their bloodline, obviously. And, you know, so, and then when you have Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston and Big E, you're talking about a, a, just a super talented team. And they, they had great matches since they've been on SmackDown feuding with each other. Everything's been good. I've actually enjoyed this feud, even the rap battle hosted by Wale. So I've good. liked it all. And so I, I enjoyed the match. You know, it was a title change. I guess that was what we were supposed to take away from the show, aside from the Kevin Owens thing is, oh, wow, you know, a title change happened on, on television. So I guess that was like maybe the, you know, what we called like the mini pay-per-view aspect of everything. But um, yeah. I enjoyed the match. For, for what it was, it, it, was a, it was a good match. I think there's more drama in tag team matches when it's an actual traditional tag team match. It's, it's the way to build a, a better story. But... In these matches, you know, they did what they could with it, and it was it was good. It was entertaining. Yeah, because I think the, the stipulations are also kind of a product of its environment. Like, the stipulations worked very well in the Attitude Era because it was crazy, and it was kind of edgy and rugged. And when you saw a chair shot, you're like, okay, this is this is edgy and rugged. When you hear, when you see a chair shot and when, during a PG show, like, it's kind of like, okay, it's a PG chair shot. Like, you know, you, you kind of get that feeling. Even though, it's like, it's, even though if you talk to any wrestler or performer – they're going to s- tell you there's nothing PG about the chair shot. It hurt like hell. Yeah, I oh, understand yeah. Oh, what you're oh, yeah. saying. Yeah, it's just I think the perception of what kind of show we're watching because the attitude it era. It feels sanitized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it really does. It, it feels sanitized. That's a great way to put it. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's what happens when we're watching these because I think some people get the wrong idea of, well, we don't like a street fight anymore. When I see indie companies that thrive off of death matches, like there are people that <laughs> love this crap and love seeing people get hit with a kendo stick and a chair shot and different ways to put people through a table we all love that stuff but when it's presented in a a pg environment it doesn't have the same kind of effect as if we were to see it back in the 90s and the that stone cold era where everything was the ruthless aggression like everything was tough and hardcore like that's when it fit like ecw it was the perfect environment for it that's why those matches worked best in ecw because that was the exact product of his environment 
for PGWWE just doesn't feel the same. Um, so that's why kind of these street fights, like they're still good, but it does, it just doesn't have that same impact that it had, uh, I think back in the early two thousands, but either way, you're right. These two teams are refreshing. They're talented as hell. And from what I saw, it resulted in a good match. And I think you're right. The, the kind of the highlight point of the night, because I feel like this is when we got about halfway through the show or a little bit over halfway. And this was kind of that highlight of the show, that big, uh, kind of moment of new day winning the titles, Again, and kind of going into that, I'm not into rumors too much, but one of them was that the New Day are going to get the most title reigns for uh, a tag team. And it seems like that's where we're kind of headed in that direction. But uh, yeah, what what is the record and who holds it? Does anyone I, know? Do you is know? It, is it Edge and Christian, I think, hold it or the Dudley Boys, I think, actually, the Dudley Boys, I think might actually be it. Deadly Boys sounds right. It, it's one yeah, of it's one right. of those two teams because I remember Edge and Christian winning it a ton, and also the Dudley Boys too. They just had they've been there for so long and had so many reigns. I don't think it's Matt and Jeff. I'm, if I'm okay, but, it's one of those teams though. I, I think Dudley Boys sounds right to me. Yeah, it, it's one of those three teams because they kind of went back and forth, um, and they all had those that big feud between the three of them together. So it's, it's definitely one of those three teams. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I do know that it does seem like it's kind of going in that direction where they're trying to, they broke the record for longest, I think tag team uh, run. So why not break the record for the most tag team title wins? Uh, so I think that's kind of where it's headed. Um, but we get the SmackDown women's championship match, Natalia and Naomi and the thing I mean the match was good and everything um, but of course what pops out is all the stuff outside of the ring you got that YouTube star that nobody knows then you get Ronda Rousey uh, a video before the match so you get Ronda out there as well and then you see Carmella with James Ellsworth on a freaking leash like everything outside of this match was such a circus that I love the outside of it but it it, not to say that what they did was bad and that this whole segment was bad, but I kind of wasn't interested in the match. I was so interested in what was going on outside of the ring. Um, but Yeah, yeah. I mean, seeing Ronda Rousey, you know, I thought that she'd lose some appeal after the um, She got a big you know, reaction. loss, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, she got a massive reaction. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. I, guess I stole your thunder there. No, no, no! You're good. Okay, you're good. <laughs> like, like I, I, I agree. <laughs> like that YouTube star almost stole Ronda Rousey's thunder, but you know she's she's too uh-huh. popular. Um, but yeah, I, I I was about to I said it so quickly because that's what surprised me is like, well, that's kind of the moment too that everybody's like, well, Ronda Rousey's not as big a star. Why would they put her out there? And then she gets this big reaction, and you're like, what the hell was everybody talking about? Like, why were, was there any worry about how big of a star she was? Like, it's pretty, I felt like at that moment, all right, it's very clear that there is still a huge amount of fan reaction and mass appeal towards Ronda Rousey. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, What'd you think of this match, though? It was, I'm, I haven't been into Natalia for some reason, um, but I, I liked how it kind of, again, tied that bow on whatever's going on with Naomi. It seems like, it seems like that's the end of Naomi. Not end of her, but like, Okay, we got that done. Natalia beat her for the belt, beat her again. Like I feel like that tied the bow. Now everything's about Carmella and Natalia, and I'm interested to see because with the money in the bank, there always has to be that third player. So I'm now interested in that third player. The match is what it was. Like it was, it was good. Um, Naomi is at the top of her game. Natalia, I haven't been into recently, but 
I'm not going to really have too many complaints about the match, but I'm just interested now because it seems like they're kind of moving on from Naomi in terms of the title picture. Now there's going to be a third player inserted here. Who is going to be that third person inserted into this Natalia and Carmella kind of stare down as the champion and the money in the bank kind of clash? Um, you know, that, that's a good question. Uh, honestly, I'd have to, you know, give that one right back to you. Who, what do you have in mind? Um, at some point, Charlotte has to be in it, right? Like, at some point. Yeah, that, that that's a great point. Yeah, what? now that Rick's... Uh, by the way, you know, great shout-out to oh, yes. boy Rick yeah. Flair. It's good to see you, you know, doing what you're doing. And, and you're, you're styling and profiling like only you can do. And it, it's great to see you back on your feet. And I think with, with you know, her dad now feeling better... Uh, I think that uh, we're going to see Charlotte back on television. You know, I mean, I've heard this phrase before, but WWE really has a spoil of riches right now with their talent roster. You know, because, like, I, I, Randy Orton went on this show, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't see Shinsuke. We didn't see Charlotte. Didn't see Lana. Becky Lynch. Um, Becky Lynch didn't see. I mean, and, 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 and they fill the two hours easily. Yeah, that's uh, impressive. It's just kind of it crazy how yeah. much how, how much talent they have on on both these shows. So much so that like you don't you can't see them all every week. It's really crazy. Yeah, it is, and it shows. That's also a product of maybe doing TV right. Like I, I think they do the SmackDown shows right, and I think they it's this was certainly an example of that. The SmackDown Live Sin City type of show, but yeah, the talent the talent roster is huge for both shows. And uh, this was a, I, you're right, a, I think a perfect example of that. But uh, yeah, if, if anyone, maybe the Charlotte thing too, because I was thinking the easy answer to this is Becky Lynch, because Becky Lynch can win, and then she's all excited and then loses right away, and then, oh, we feel sad for Becky again. And that's kind of her whole character. Like, she can get to the top, but can't really, like, just go over that last hurdle. And maybe she finally does and then loses. But honestly, I, I, Charlotte has to be inserted in this somehow. She is the top player in all of this, and we haven't seen her. Some of it is because of the health of her dad. But I think also, and I hate to say capitalize on Ric Flair and, and what happened there, but you know, there, there's yeah. a lot of people now that, that really want to see Charlotte, and it would be a cool moment to see her back out there going for a title again just after what happened. And it would be awesome. I think it would be a good fan reaction to see her on TV again. Everybody would be like, we're glad your dad's better. We're glad you're back. And then she wins the title and then loses it to Carmella and ruins that great moment we were all going to have with Charlotte. Yeah. No, I like that. I do. I think, um, I think there's a lot of possibilities for the, for the women's division um, on SmackDown Live. I, I can't wait to see, you know, I can't wait to see Carmella with the strap. But you know what, man? I mean, we're approaching the hour mark here. And, and I, we've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about the biggest thing on this I'm show. I'm building up anticipation, man. I, 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 I don't think I can even contain myself. I did a good enough job that even you, you're like, I can't do even it. I'm we like, got to talk let's about get to it, man. I'm excited to talk about this. All right. All right, let's do it then. So Vince McMahon, Kevin Owens going at it. Vince McMahon making another fat joke. There was blood, headbutts, uh, uh, frog splashes, all of it. Brad, that was just a quick recap, and I just want you to go at it because you seem like you're ready to go. So what did you, oh, what do you, what uh, were okay. you really so, excited about? With first this? off, I'm I'm a rapid fire on you right now. Oh. First off, 
um, Vince McMahon's theme song, Here's a Hot Take, is the greatest wrestling theme song in history. It solidified it for me tonight. It's better than Stone Cold. It's better than HBK. It's better than Hulk Hogan. It's better than John C. It's better than them all. It's the best theme song ever. Okay. Oh, you, now, you can't even mention the best one. You can't even mention Edge's theme song by the greatest rock band of all time right now. You're like, come on, man. Come on. You know, man. that must be a Pennsylvania thing. That's a bias. So, no, that's a bias thing. I'm a huge Alter Bridge fan, and I'm about to see them twice in a year. So, oh, very biased. But come on, man. You got to mention it. <laughs> well, anyway, so um, Vince comes out looking, looking great, looking like Vince McMahon, just a couple extra, you know, ears on him. And this is so Vince cuts a promo like only Vince can cut. I love the, you know, they associate a B with my name. It's called billionaire. And if you take <laughs> me to court, there's going to be a B next to your name. It's going to be bankrupt. And like everything he was, he was carving Kevin Owens up. <laughs> How do you look in the mirror and have any respect at all? I mean, they're just tearing him down because everything we know about Vince McMahon, he's a freak. He's in freak shape. He's a freak, you know, genetic freak. He works out all the time. He doesn't sleep. He wants to stay cut and stay fit and stay ripped. He's on the cover of Muscle Fitness at 70 years old. You know, we know that he likes the body guys. He likes the guy that's looked apart. So Kevin Owens must, at some rudimentary level, make his skin crawl. Okay, so he got that dig in there on live TV. Everyone's like, ooh, because they knew it was real and he was coming from a real place. Then, so finally, he says, you know, you can't, you know, I've never lost in court. And the only reason I suspended my, my son Shane is because he didn't finish the job. He didn't leave your bowels all over the mat. He didn't, you know, beat your face so bad you can't tell the front from the back, you know. And then he says, you know, so I'm here, you know, not to fire Shane, not to whatever. I'm here to make a match. You and my son Shane, Hell in a Cell, inside Hell in a Cell. This is what we all were expecting to happen. This is Shane McMahon's second Hell in a Cell match since he's been back. That's got to be some kind of record for, you know, the guys, what? He's had one, two, three. He's had three matches since he's been back, right? And this will be his fourth. Yeah, and I think so, so, yeah. 50% of his matches are going to be competed in Hell in a Cell <laughs> in the second run of his career. And... And then, um, you know, Kevin Owens says to him, so if I beat, you know, him senseless, I just want to let I just want you to say, if I beat a McMahon senseless, there's going to be no repercussions on me. You know, you're not going to fire me, which, by the way, I popped huge when Vince said, Kevin Owens, you're fired. Sounded <laughs> right on point, like straight from the Attitude Era. So Vince says, you know, you got my word. When they start shaking hands and talking shit to each other, I know something's about to happen. We all knew something was about to happen. I didn't see that headbutt happening. That headbutt looked like it sucked. And I'm <laughs> sure Vince told him in the back, God damn it, you better hit me hard when we get out there. Vince is, isn't Vince down. known for that too? Like, didn't he tell Randy Orton to like actually kick the hell out of me? And then he got kicked yeah. and he was like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. like, he's known for that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he's known for going out there and doing the extra mile, even at the age of 71, almost 72. So Jeez. he goes out there, the headbutt, and then you see him as soon as he lands. I'm like, oh, man, he hardweighed him. Like, I mean, he busted him open with his head. So he, he put some force behind it. I know 72-year-old skin isn't as tough as maybe 20 years ago. but it That still skin's a little a rough, to, too, man. That, that spot's <laughs> been cut open quite a few times, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's got some scar tissue there that probably opens up pretty easy. But um, then, you know, when I see that, I will say this. Back in the Attitude Era, even though Vince was in his 50s and even in the mid-2000s when he was in his early 60s, 
whenever something would happen like that, um, and he'd get his ass kicked or there'd be a beat down, you would always be like, oh, man, you know, if he was a good guy, you'd be like, oh, man, come on, someone save him. And if he was a bad guy, you're like, yeah, get, you know, kick his ass, whatever. <laughs> when he's gotten into his 70s, like I remember when Brock Lesnar F5'd him, you know, and, and broke his hip apparently, right? And, um, and now this, it gives me a different reaction. It, 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 even though Vince, you know, is a tough SOB, we all know, it gives me a different reaction to see an, an older man get beat up like that. You know, it just it, it it just doesn't. I mean, and I know they want the heat on Kevin Owens, but it just I don't. Even though it was a great segment, and Vince was doing everything he could to put him over, getting super kicked, getting five you know frog splashed on, he's doing everything he could, and it worked for I'm sure 99% of everybody. It worked for me, but there's just a piece of me that goes, God, I I just don't like that this old man is is out there getting punched out, you know, punched and head butted and kicked in the face to try to get this guy, you know, to the next level. I, it just gives me a weird feeling. Some Now, if it was 10 years ago, I would be 100% with it. Just, I guess, you know, Vince McMahon and my dad, they're the same exact age. So oh, I, yeah, I guess okay. for some reason I'm projecting my own father into that. And I'm like, God, <laughs> no, I wouldn't want that to happen to him. <laughs> right. And, um, and so I, I, that might be my thing, but it was a great segment. Well, we, and yeah. Well, I was I was about to say we kind of got that too. Like, hey, he's an old man, let him go. Like we had the the agents come out there and like show a sense of urgency. Even Stephanie went out there. Like this was all about the May Young Classic, and it's even like Stephanie like broke out of all of that. It was like come to her dad and like make sure her dad was okay. Like broke all of that. There's this May Young Classic. We see Stephanie on this red carpet or whatever that was, and then all of a sudden that all stops and it's like okay, she's now out there helping her dad. Like that ad- added a certain holy hell. This dude is just is done. Like he's had broken ribs. Like his he's now his head is busted open. Like this is an old man that's basically broken down right now, and you kind of get that yeah. sick feeling to your stomach, and you hate Kevin Owens for it. So I. I thought that was awesome. And to me, again, Vince McMahon is the most interesting person in the world. He's the only one we don't like. We know nothing like in me. Like I know nothing. And people who have never met Vince know nothing about him. But his on-air character was so good that we project everything we know about Vince onto his real life because his character was so real and so awesome that we project everything on that to his real life. So anytime he speaks about anything, we think it's shoot and real and awesome. And that's why that promo works so well and anytime he's on tv that's the probably the biggest part of the show the most watched part of the show um so i thought they did a good job in one getting people to watch it two then capitalizing on that moment and making kevin owens a freaking badass even though he's beating up an old dude he's still beating up vince mcmahon the dude that owns a billion dollar company and he's beating him to a damn pulp like that is a badass moment that we are not going to forget about kevin owens the same thing as that festival of friendship we'll remember that forever because of the the scenery and the images and how over the top and goofy it was but also it ruined a friendship like this was not goofy it was the opposite of that it was so violent that like it makes kevin owens seems like this dude has got nothing to lose and now there is going to be bloodshed at hell in a cell shane mcmahon vince mcmahon's dad bled from a headbutt due to kevin owens what do you think shane mcmahon is going to want to do like it's like kevin owens became this monster shane mcmahon's already pissed now he's going to be pissed off even more this is heading into like a clash of two 
two dudes that just want to rip each other apart. And that's what a Hell in a Cell match is best for. And that's what it should be used for. And I'm so excited that it's actually going to be like what we are supposed to see in Hell in a Cell matches is going to happen with Shane and Kevin Owens. I'm so excited for that. I'm excited too. This was a great episode, I think. Now looking back on it and breaking it down with you, a SmackDown Live. I think, you know, the moments that we did get, there were highlights. They were very, very high highlights. And, and they really made this a memorable episode. And that clip's going to be shown forevermore of Vince and Kevin Owens. And, um, hey, uh, I love, by the way, being able to be your co-host. I don't mean to rush off the phone here, but I have a call coming in from L.A. that I need to take. Uh, but uh, let me take this time to promote the event. <laughs> hey, um, all the hurricane victims, if you or your family were affected by the hurricane, Booker T is doing something really awesome right after No Mercy pay-per-view in Los Angeles, California at Lucky Strike Hollywood. We're going to be doing a live episode of our show, Heated Conversations, featuring guests like Kurt Angle, Corey Graves, Rob Van Dam, and also I just got word from the Booker man himself who's waiting for me to call him back. Gold Dust will also be at that show. That's an exclusive right here on WrestleZone. Gold Dust will also be appearing at that show. You can uh, make donations and get your tickets for the event at BookerTLive.com. Every single penny is going to the victims of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma. And we're doing this through the Booker T Fights for Kids Foundation. We're going to try to help a lot of these families with displaced children who have no schooling right now, no school clothes, no books, no supplies, no nothing. We're going to do everything we can to help them out. So I had to get that uh, plug in. I hate to rush off the phone like this. But, uh, you know, business is calling. This right. is a 24-7 <laughs> business, my, no. my brother. Everybody pay attention to that and uh, <laughs> go check that out. I'm being big-timed by Booker T, and I can't really blame Brad for wanting to get off the phone. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at jjansen34. That's it for this edition of SmackDown Rebellion. We'll talk to you guys next week.